Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a themed dive into popular songs and unearth the connections like a hammock in your cornflakes. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and fretless bass enthusiast. And today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably Secretly P-Funk. And my guest today is singer, songwriter, and music producer, Will Hammond Jr. Hi, Will. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It is going spectacularly, assuming we're not all going to die from the Delta variant. Oh, I th- God. I, I was just be- listening to something about that. <laughs> I, I think like, we're going to be okay. No. <laughs> so today is about the miraculous band of, of merry pranksters known as P-Funk. And I have a question for you, which is, yeah. when did you realize that Parliament and Funkadelic were the same group? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> At some point, I was... In my dad's den, and I think I was looking at the cover of Maggot Brain. And I was like, man, <laughs> Parliament is dope. And then at least about five or ten years later, <laughs> I saw footage of a concert. And I was like, oh, there's there's Parliament. And then what's that other group, Funkadelic? Oh, wait, they're the same band. <laughs> Ta-da. Yeah. No, it's... um. Mine's similar. My, my my parents were not into P-Funk at all, so I, I didn't have any albums. I would see them at my friend's house. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing One Nation Under a Groove on the radio, and I'm like, yeah. there has to be a Parliament song. And they announced Funkadelic, and I'm like, how can... But that's... Wait. <laughs> I hear George Clinton. What's going on? So... So, yeah, between those two and the P-Funk All-Stars and Bootsy and it's a bunch of, you know, Brides of Funkenstein, a bunch of different groups, the same 16 to 30 people all show up. And the weird thing, partially due to, I don't know, industry racism, they almost never had a real hit single, right? Mm. A couple of hits here and there, and probably more as sampled in hip-hop from the 90s on right. than they ever got in the 70s and 80s. But the members snuck themselves onto other people's hits, and that's what I want to talk about today. For example, the song with the funkiest slide whistle I've ever heard is D-Light's Grooves in the Heart. Yes. And the bass line, I believe, is a Herbie Hancock song, but there's Fred Wesley and Maceo Parker of the Horny Horns playing real brass on that song. And there's Bootsy Collins being Bootsy Collins on the vocals in that song. And considering that song was like, I don't know, number four in America... It's kind of a big hit, and it's too super saturated with P-Funk. Right, right, right. So I'm going to play for y'all D-Light's Groove is in the Heart. Hit it!
And that was Delight with Groovers in the Heart. And, you know, as a musician, you're well aware of James Brown and his harsh band-leading ways. <laughs> yes, I was. And, you know, Bootsy and Fred Wesley and Maceo Parker all left the JBs to yep. join Parliament. Can you imagine if James Brown was nicer, how different P-Funk would have been? Oh, my God. It would have been probably the more refined version. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the big band of P-Funk. Really? All genteel. <laughs> Speaking of genteel, I want to talk about one of our favorite Oakland natives, Too Short. Ooh. And Too Short, back in the day, Too Short claimed he was going to retire. Remember that time? I do remember that. Album number 10. He's like, I've done 10 of these. I think, I'm good. I think he's up to like 105 now. But at the time, it was 10. And he had a song called Getting It. And Getting It was amazing because it was very positive. Yep. Uh, he didn't mention pimping at all, <laughs> and all the music was probably funkadelic. It literally. And and by the way, I think too short for my generation for our generation yep. was probably the sort of funk like starter kit that we needed. And so, <laughs> in terms of like, you know, for our generation, we didn't have like a real like infused funk band except for maybe prince right right prince did kind of a fusion of funk and rock and all those things but for us the bay area too short was like that funk kind of uh infusion yeah no i, I totally agree so for him to get 
P-Funk members to play on his song made total sense. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to play for you one of the few songs of him I can play on public radio. <laughs> this is Getting It by Too Short. That's right. Album number 10. Short dogs in the house. It's getting close to the end, y'all. But we're going to kick it like this on the last album. I got 
to keep it real. It's been a long time, baby, since I first got down. But I still keep making these phony sounds. And that was too short with getting it. And I love the the deep funkiness. I love the fact that uh, he suggests we all should take a vacation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man! Okay, too short. I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> but that makes sense, though. Can we think about the funk? The funk is about positivity. The funk is about everything's on the one. And honestly, it's hard to explain the funk to people who've never heard it. Yep. You know, it's like it's. Is it like a religion? Not exactly. Is it like a cult? Not exactly. But I always I always merit, the, the rubric for me is if a girl that I'm dating knows about funk, she's then she's in. <laughs> if she doesn't know what funk is, or she's never heard of it, I'm like, uh, okay, it was nice meeting you. Yeah, my, my <laughs> wife, turns out, has a, her favorite parliament song is Funky Woman. Oh. Which is on like the original pre Casablanca version, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm impressed, honey. That's a deep cut. She's mad right now. It's not on Spotify. Wow, hostile. that's right. Yeah. Actually hostile. Not in America. Maybe y'all in the UK have it, but not here. Yeah. Also fun. Trying to get all the P Funk songs on Spotify to make a master playlist. Good luck. Exactly. All the Warner Brothers Funkadelic ones not available. Yeah, it's interesting because you would think that Spotify would be the the all be all all be all, but a lot of those companies didn't sign those licensing deals. No, no. And uh, from what I've heard, uh, I met George Clinton's accountant mm. back in the day. And without giving anything away, um, there's some interesting things happening. Wow. Uh, he's been around a long time. There were a lot of contracts that were offered to him that were not correct. I know they were fixing it. So the wow. fact that he's still alive and able to get anything back is yep. amazing. So, it is so, amazing. So shout out to his lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to move into a song that I bet everybody our age knows, which is Let's Go All the Way by Sly Fox. Oh. And that was two guys. One is Michael Camacho. The other one was Gary Mudbone Cooper of P-Funk. He was the black one. It was a black and white duo. <laughs> and that was a huge song. That song went number seven in America, which is higher than anything P-Funk has ever done in America. It went to number three in the UK, number one in Canada, which means Canada for at least a week was funkier than America was. It happens. <laughs> it happens. And I didn't know this at the time, but again, P-Funk is everywhere. And I'm going to play for you Sly Fox's Let's Go All The Way. Scream and shout 
And that was Let's Go All The Way by Sly Fox. And for those of you who, at the time, back this came out in 85, you're like, isn't that the same drum from Fly Girl by Boogie Boys? <laughs> a fly girl, a fly girl. Well, I will tell you, there's a reason. Both a Fly Girl and Let's Go All The Way had the same producer. What? The dude named Ted Courier. I, I think hey. Ted also worked at Capitol Records. Capitol Records released... Let's go all the way. And he went over to Boogie Boys and went, this beat still has some life to it. What can you do with it? <laughs> and so they made Fly Girl off the same beat. And to make it crazier, Ted Courier was the co-producer of Atomic Dog. Wow. I know, right? This show. He made it all kinds of easy. <laughs> he made it very easy to get that mechanical license. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ted Courier. So... George Clinton himself, anybody who knows the 
20 something albums he put out in the first decade knows dope producer. He produced or co-produced all of that stuff. Almost rarely was he ever asked to produce any band that was not his, which to me was uh, a loss to the music world. (laughs) But one of the bands that hired him early on was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Really? So their first album was produced by a dude from Gang of Four. Album did not sell. So they were technically label mates of George Clinton. So the label said, well, you're funky. He's definitely funky. Let's see if we can make a funk album that will sell some units. So they get George. And of course, with George, you get as many other funketeers I was around at the time. So literally, there's more P-Funk members on this album than members of the Peppers. Which is crazy to me, that the concept of multiple people in that room or in that space. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Maceo's on it. Fred's on it. It's a horn section. Uh, Gary Diaperman Scheider is on the album as well. It's like 14 wow. P-Funkers on there. They recorded it at United Sound, where all the Parliament albums were recorded. So there was right there in Detroit. And the album, if you have not heard the album, it is so steeped in funk. Just like a meters cover on it, the Sly Stone cover. And I'm going to play you one of the originals, American Ghost Dance by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, produced by George Clinton and a bunch of funketeers all hanging out. Here's how it goes. Life, but he's in chains. Uh, I'm alive. 
And that was the extremely funky American Ghost Dance by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, produced by George Clinton back in 85. And the sad part is that album didn't even chart. Oh. It, <laughs> I don't think the, um, the alternative rock scene in 85 was ready for that much funk. Yeah, they think they need something a little bit more mainstream. Well, you know what's funny? The One of the big breakout songs before Under the Bridge was Give It Away. And yep. Give It Away never really charted that high because regular radio hated it. Mm. It it was released three times, never got into the top forty. Even though with like a song we all associate with them, regular rate rock radio was like too funky. Where's the melody? I don't wow. get it. Yeah, so it was a straight up, and it's odd to think that even playing a black type of music would get you shut down wow. at a rock radio as popular as the Peppers were. But but there was also something going on when MTV came on the spot. Yep, people started watching. The videos, so video killed the radio star, right? So yep. it's almost like there was sort of that 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 thing coming in that was sort of like, oh wait, this song's not on the radio, but I can go to MTV and watch it ten times a day. This is true, and we're talking about like ninety ninety one, which is you know I think that true, yeah. We're talking about to the point about thirty years ago in which like um, Red Chili Peppers, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, yeah. and Nirvana's Nevermind. And I think Bad Motorfinger from uh, Soundgarden all dropped like within the same month of each other. Wow. So it was a big sea change in what was acceptable sonically. Yeah. Because it really did kill a lot of the, what was, it killed hair metal, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't just Nirvana, but yeah. all the other bands coming out saying, no, LA rock is the Peppers now. Yes. It's not um, Warrant. No diss to Warrant fans, just saying. <laughs> well, you know, we did get tired of seeing those haircuts down there. It started to get, well, you know, it's a copy of a copy of a copy, right? You could, I I have to appreciate how much effort Motley Crue brought to what they did in 81. And I don't think the bands who were copying Motley Crue, who were then copying what bands were copying of Motley oh, Crue, brought the same level. Yep. So after a while, it's just, okay, we have hair and we have spandex yes. and there's a woman in a cage. Like, not only is that misogynistic, that's boring. But the thing is, the labels were saying, this is what's making money. So people were doing cookie cutters of what was supposedly making yeah. money. Which is funny because you think 10 years ago they would have learned that about disco, right? <laughs> Where it's like, let's just put a weaker version of disco and a weaker version and a weaker version of that because it makes money. Like, you're going to hit a wall. Yep. Generally around the first year of the next generation, right? So, like, disco was definitely done by about 80, 81 for sure. Yeah. And then 90, 91, here comes all the new music to just kill the Sunset Strip sound dead. But exactly. it, it put itself in a vulnerable position. Right. It, <laughs> it really totally did. did. 
So, speaking of The Rock, not not The Rock. (laughs) Speaking of Dwayne Johnson. Jungle Cruise coming out this this week. I love how he (laughs) likes to use his real name. We all call him The Rock. We know your name is Dwayne, but The Rock just hits it. I feel a different way about The Rock, as do most people, than Dwayne. Nothing wrong with the name Dwayne. Dwayne Johnson's a nice, wonderful name, but The Rock. Exactly. I want to see a movie with The Rock. (laughs) <laughs> I will, I guess, attend a film with Dwayne Johnson. I, anyway, uh, speaking of rock music, I want to talk about the Black Crows. I have a Black Crow story. Oh, is it for air? Yeah. Let's hit it. My first story, my first trip to L.A., I was actually, when I was working with uh, Tara Kemp mm-hmm. on Warner Brothers, she gave me her convertible Carmen Ghia in Berkeley and said, hey, can you drive this to L.A.? And we'll meet you there, and we'll go to the studio later, da da da, da. So I drive down, my first time driving to L.A. in a convertible Carmen Ghia. I get off the 101, and the first person I see walking down the street is... What, Chris Robinson? Uh, Chris Robinson, who's carrying a bag of groceries and on one arm, and the girl on the other arm, walking down Sunset Strip. And I thought, I've made it. <laughs> And you, you weren't asked to come out of the car and assume the position? My gosh, that's a wonderful story. Chris Robinson was just a cherry on top of the ice cream. That was before we had that paranoia in our heads. Remember? Oh, okay. You know, the, oh, the good old days, the, good old the days, 90s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on their album, Three Snakes and One Charm, they wanted to shake things up a bit. And they wanted to get their Funkadelic on. And if you want to get your Funkadelic on, you better get some members of Funkadelic. <laughs> so singing... Uh, background vocals with as much intensity as Chris Robinson is Gary Mudbone Cooper and Gary Diaper Man Scheider, a.k.a. Starchild. And so it's them and also the, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band on horns. And it is by far the funkiest thing the Black Crows have ever done. Yeah. I want to play for you only halfway to everywhere by the Black Crows.
And that was the funkiest song the Black Crows have ever sung <laughs> by far. Only halfway to everywhere with a little help from two singers from Funkadelic who are definitely making it happen. And they, they smeared on the funk. <laughs> that was a very good smear of funk. I mean, if you went to the bagel bagel shop and mm-hmm. said, give me a smear of funk, that's, that's what that would sound yeah, like. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to have to get a towel. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about, first of all, every musician of that era and beyond knows how well Funkadelic can play, how yes. well they can sing, how well they can arrange. And they have so much character on top of that that sometimes just things they say become songs. Here's the point. They used to, in the early 80s, have an audience chant of just burn down the house. Just burn. So Talking Heads go to see them at a concert. They hear the phrase, burn down the house. And they go, uh-huh, that could be interesting. They bring that back to the studio. They turn into the song, Burning Down the House. Uh-huh. Now, to be inspired by things you hear, that's pretty common. But what's stranger is when they went on tour, this is the uh, Stop Making Sense tour. Yeah. Who's in the band playing this song? Lynn Mabry on vocals, who's one of the Brides of Funkenstein. Yes. Y'all go check out Never Buy Texas from a Cowboy by the Brides of Funkenstein. You will thank me later. <laughs> and on synth is P-Funk legend Bernie Worrell. Wow. So he's in the back making all of his tip, all the weird, strange G-Funk sounds you hear in the live version. That's all him. They're both in the movie as well. But it's so meta to play a song you didn't write, yet was completely inspired by what you did. Wow, that's I mean, amazing. Granted, I'm sure they got paid, so I don't think it was, you know. <laughs> but it must be odd to just be like, I, I kind of wrote this. I didn't really write it, but someone wrote it and wants me to help make it real. So on that, I'm going to play the live version of Burning Down the House by Talking Heads.
And that was the live version of Burning Down the House by Talking Heads featuring some really great members of P-Funk all up in there, <laughs> making weird sounds and sounding great. And uh, while we were off air, uh, we were talking about just how black music tends to be subdivided into genres and right. then ignored if yep. it's not fitting the popular genre of the moment. Yep. And we're rapping about the Marsalis brothers and how uh, when they went, went in and Brandon were in their prime in the 80s, they were freaking people out because people didn't know, well, wait, uh, Winton's playing classical and Winton's <laughs> playing jazz. I don't get it. Well, it's the same thing as like with Fishbone. Yes. You know, the label basically couldn't figure out whether to put them in the black category or in the white rock category or whatever. Which, which category can we ignore them the hardest? Exactly. And the thing to understand people out there is we're not a monolith. We're not just one sound. We're not just one energy. There are so many different people doing different styles of music. And that's what was great about the Marcellus brothers. They had this really unique kind of vibe, you know, and all the brothers had a unique vibe. Yeah, I was saying that uh, for about a five-year period, Winton, not Winton, Brandon was playing sax behind Sting, and then he would go sneak and do live dates with the Grateful Dead, and he's also on the outro of the soundtrack version of Public Enemies Fight the Power. That's a crazy range for such a small amount of time, but you know, Branford Marsalis has big ears and a lot of talent, oh, yeah. and uh, seemingly no barriers. Yep. And that's why we like him. Speaking of no barriers, <laughs> I want to bring up D'Angelo. Yes. D'Angelo, who I think has done three albums in 25 years. Uh, you know what? Some things take time. <laughs> uh, so right now we're in the middle of the Delta variant area, and uh, Eric Clapton is, you know Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton has made very poor, clear poor Eric Clapton. that uh, – He's not going to play with audiences that are all vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, but I I remember there was an electronic press kit, also known as an EPK, for D'Angelo's Voodoo album. And D'Angelo, I believe, is recording at Electric Lady Studios in New York. And Eric Clapton happens to be there because musicians hang out. And they're playing him tracks. And Eric Clapton's mouth just goes agape. His eyes bug out. You know those troll dolls where you press them and the eyes go out? That was Eric Clapton. And his reaction was, well, is it all like this? Like it, it was so beautiful. It was so, you know, D'Angelo, he's taken the 16th note and pushed it time-wise into yep. the ether. And Eric Clapton could not contain what he was hearing. And that's pretty much most people's reaction to D'Angelo. So D'Angelo, after a 14-year drought of his funkiness, came back with an album called Black Messiah. And that album is considered to be one of the top 500 albums ever released, according to Rolling Stone. Wow. That and Mothership Connection. And almost every song on that album was co-written by Kendra Foster. And Kendra Foster is part of the P-Funk All-Stars. And low-key, I've been stalking her on Instagram. As you should, because she's that good. <laughs> um, she can sing and she can write. And she's been on every P-Funk Associated al studio album for the last 15 years. And she brought her A-game to Black Messiah. And I could play you any song off this album, and it would be great. But one of my faves is called The Charade. So here comes The Charade by D'Angelo. Oh, 
And that was The Charade by D'Angelo from 2014, co-written by the wonderful Kendra Foster of P-Funk, in P-Funk. Is she a P- She's a funketeer for sure. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. She, she, she sings on stage with George Clinton. That's close enough, right? And, and again, I tell people, if you can watch the SNL version of this, you will cry because it's so powerful. It tells a story. Yeah, and it's seven years old, but the story it tells is so current. Wow, seven years now? Seven years. I know, right? What? Sometimes it's hard to tell a year because 2020 almost evaporated. Yeah. But uh, no, that was 2014. Maybe in 2015, depends on when he was scheduled. Wow, and I saw him perform it live at the uh, Uh, Golden Gate Park, um, whatever that that concert is. uh, Yeah, I've never seen D'Angelo live. I was always trying to get tickets and it was basically you go into the ticket online and just laughs at you you're like you're not getting this ticket you are not you may get the after party with, and he won't be at but you're not getting the ticket 
<laughs> that that is just crazy. And um, by the way, low key flex Jesse Johnson as his guitarist. Yes. Is that Jesse Johnson as his guitarist and Pino Palladino as his bass player? Yes. Um, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you're all nodding your head. And for those of you who do not, uh, pick up, uh, let's see, okay, go to Spotify or your music section of your choice, play Free World by Jesse Johnson, oh, and then come back. I love Free World. Best Pino Palladino bass line. I'm going to give it up to Paul Young's I Want to Tear Your Playhouse Down. Yes. Where his bass line is so evocative, he makes Paul Young sound like a background singer <laughs> on his own track. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, man. No, you know, it's, it's like, I love that Paul Young let him do that. Exactly. It's busy, it's bold, it's brash, and it's beautiful. And both <laughs> those two guys are behind D'Angelo, and it's astonishing. Jesse Johnson is amazing. I mean, he has some amazing stories about Prince. Oh yeah. So if you if you ever will listen to Questlove's podcast, go listen to Jesse Johnson's interview. It's amazing. One of the funniest parts of that, and was so random. Apparently, Prince had just put out Raspberry Beret. Yeah. And he calls up Jesse and he said, You hear me talking about you? And Jesse's like, What do you mean? The part of the song where <laughs> I said, and we went riding by old man Johnson's farm. Jesse Johnson around that time bought a farm. <laughs> and Prince was going, ah, I got you. Yeah, Prince is uh, Prince was unique oh and a weirdo. Love Prince. All <laughs> right, Prince. I want to get to probably one of the most obvious, not even obvious. I want to get to one of the most widest appearances, wide with a D, or white appearances <laughs> of a P-funker that almost nobody knows about, but they all know the song. And this goes back to video taking over the experience. There is a guy named Fat Boy Slim. Fat Boy Slim is known for two songs in America. One is the Rockefeller Skank, and the other one is Weapon of Choice. And Weapon of Choice has a video of Christopher Walken dancing in an empty hotel, sometimes on the walls. It won a Grammy <laughs> for best video. And it's a wonderful video. We all love Christopher Walken. But the vocalist is Bootsy Collins. Oh, and right. when you know that and you hear it, you're like, but of course. That's right. The vocals are turned down a little bit low. I think it's distorted in one channel. And he's mostly talking. He's not so much singing. <laughs> but once you know it's Bootsy, and Bootsy co-wrote this song, once you know it's Bootsy, it's super obvious. And this song was huge. We're talking like a big dance hit. It was top 10 in England and, and in Scotland. And I don't think anybody knows that P-Funk had anything to do with it. So I will play for you right now, Weapon of Choice by Fatboy Slim. Yeah. Don't be shy 
And that was Fatboy Slim with Weapon of Choice with Bootsy Collins on subtle vocals. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about the curation of dance music, right? And the yep. concept like there's dance music for clubs, there's dance music for gyms, yep. and the music's different. Yep. And I think the problem is here we're sort of more allocated to American radio mm-hmm. and Although, you know, now people are listening to on Spotify and, and other streaming platforms like Pandora, you don't get the same curation of like, oh, wow, this is a really cool deep cut or this is a really cool kind of like you were talking about Euro, a Euro dance song versus a Chicago house song. And I really think that, you know, again, to interpret like where it's coming from is sort of important too. like, you know, where the fact that Bootsy can go to Europe or go somewhere else and make a totally tight hit song says something, you know? Yeah. All these songs I just played, most of them were big worldwide. Yeah. You know, big, big in Australia, big in New Zealand, big radio hits. Right. And nowhere was that reflected in America because American radio has been um, uptight. Or just mainstream in the sense of like, it's not really condoned to, it's sort of like the difference between football here and football. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Un- understood. Understood. It's a worldwide sport. <laughs> Soccer is a worldwide sport. <laughs> yes. And with that, I want to thank Will Hammond Jr. for being on my thank show. You. Had a great time. And he brought his dog. You can't see the dog yeah. online, but the dog's very cute. Buddy's here. He's loving it. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so that's our show. Come back next week when we'll unveil another fun theme. And hey, I have dates. My new music course, The Completely Abridged History of Bay Area Music, is still online through August 31st. Check it out. Even if you come late, we'll send you videos of the previous ones you missed so you can catch up. You can learn more about this from my Instagram and my Twitter. My handle on both is Mr. French, where the E is a three. I know it doesn't look pretty, but the E as an E was taken when I got my handles. Therefore, (laughs) it is MRFR, the numeral three, NCH, original music courtesy of Spiky Blimp. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.
originally broadcast on KACRLP Alameda, underwritten by EconoGem Records, a music label and record shop stocking a range of new and used vinyl, hard to find independent albums, and turntables. Learn more at EconoGemRecords.com. <laughs> <laughs>